Hi everyone and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast. I'm your host Spencer Lodge and it's my job to make the time you're about to give me as valuable as possible. My job here is to share content I've made across my endeavors and ventures as an entrepreneur and to bring you stories and lessons and insights from my conversations with some great achievers in business as in personal development. My focus is always trying to find really interesting people that have got a genuine story to tell and have got some value to bring to you. So listen out. I'm an author, CEO of the Blue Sky Thinking Group here in Dubai. Um, I'm really passionate about being a content creator, but I'm also on my own creative journey. And with so much going on, this show is a way for me to funnel out value from all of the work my team and I are doing so that we can share it with our audiences online in an easy audio format. For those that attend my seminars or follow me on social media, this is just some extra material for you guys to get stuck into on your own journey in business, sales, personal development, or whatever aspect you're working on in improving your life. In today's episode, I'll be doing that by sharing an interview I did with the incredible Iman Ubu. We recorded it in, uh, I think it was earlier last year, maybe in about April or May of last year. Um, Iman owns a company called Sway Media, that's S-W-A-A-Y Media. However, that is her entrepreneurial journey. When you go back and study her past, it really is quite fascinating to learn the steps that she took. Iman is originally from Morocco, had a nice life over there. Mum and dad decided to move to Denver, Colorado when she was 15 years old. And to be honest with you, any 15-year-old moving home from one town to the next is a, a toughie. But to move from one country to another you've never been to would clearly upset many a 15-year-old. And she tells the story about how difficult it was for her to adjust. She got into the beauty pageant industry and became Miss New York. And so had success in that. And she tells an interesting side of the beauty pageant industry that maybe us stereotypically wouldn't normally kind of associate with it. And me for sure. And so we learn about that. But on top of that, Iman studied to be a doctor. And she tells many stories about her time um, in the lab with the white coat on doing some analysis while she was learning to develop her skills as a doctor and as a surgeon. But she's an entrepreneur by heart. You know, one thing she says is, I could never work for anyone. It just doesn't work. I have to be my own boss. And that drove her to develop Sway Media into the really successful business in New York that it is today. The interview lasts around 45 minutes. I really enjoyed it though because it's a really in-depth conversation with someone who was really willing to be open and honest about her journey and there were no there were no rules around it. She just said ask me anything you want and I'll definitely answer those questions as frankly as I can and I really enjoyed that. We get into a few important areas as I've just touched upon and I want you to listen out for those areas we spoke about. So listen out for while she was studying, listen out for what she was doing while she was involved in the beauty pageant industry. I mean, just very recently, just about two weeks ago, she was a judge in the Miss Universe competition based over in uh, Thailand uh, where Miss uh, Philippines won it. And she tells us a lot about what she's done in that industry and how those stereotypes really, really impact us. Uh, in some positive and some negative ways from the outside world. So if you've enjoyed several of the other podcasts that I've done, or even if it's your first one, I'd really love for you to rate and review the show. Ideally, a five-star rating on Apple Podcast, I would love you to do for me. Um, but if you're listening to it on SoundCloud, then a comment there would be really great. You know, And it helps the show get aired, but all, you know, more people get discovered. But more importantly... I think it's important that you tell me what you think of the show, you know, how I can bring more value and the stuff that it does for you, because I'm always learning myself. 
Now, I want you to just bear with me a little bit. When we recorded this, Amana, she was sat next to me during the recording. She dropped her mic or a mic connector on the floor. So there's a little bit of one minute worth of um, hissy sound there as the mic's picked up and then clipped back on. So please bear with me for that bit. If you're ready to get stuck in, though, I hope you really enjoy the interview with Iman. Remember, at the end of the interview, I will be back with you to tell you more about how I learned from that interview and for just to share a little bit more information from really what she was talking about and how she really does bring value to people in the business she's in. So without further ado, listen out, Iman Ubu. Okay, so I'm here to talk to you today about your successful career you've had so far. I'm going to dig in a little bit to your past as well and find out about what happened to you and some challenges you might have faced and some, some hurdles that you might have come across along the way. But if we go back and we just start the journey from when you really kind of left university and went out into the big wide world, what was your first job? My first job was a lead scientist at a cancer research biotech startup in Boulder, Colorado. Okay, well, what's that got to do with what you do now? I know, I know. I'm still trying to figure out how it all happened and how I ended up here because never in my life would I have ever thought I'd be in media, advertising, content, but it's the world we live in now, and I somehow find myself in it, and I think it's a good thing because I also feel like it's my purpose. But going back to my first job, that was also my dream growing up to become a doctor, so obviously taking the medical studies route in college, graduate school, and also nonprofit work that I've done simultaneously. Um, I always thought that this is where I was going to be forever um, because I love helping save lives and traveling the world on medical missions and whatnot. I think along the way I discovered the true me, and that has a little bit to do with pageants. Uh, and that's when I realized I didn't think my personality fit that kind of career, if it makes any sense. Okay, well, I would say that if I'm an example of the stereotype that looks at beauty pageants and sees them the way that the, the kind of masses do, it's not something that most of us look at and go, that'd be a great thing to do. So I know that you touched on this earlier when we were in the car earlier on today telling me about this. What got you into it, and, and how do you see it differently to the way that I stereotypically look at it? My mom really was the, the driving force behind me finally making the leap of faith to doing it. But throughout my college career, I kept getting those invitations, like I told you this morning, where it's like, hey, come participate in this amazing scholarship, beauty pageant, where you have the opportunity to do this and this and that. And for me, I grew up as a tomboy. I mean, the last thing I would ever want to do is be in a bikini walking around, which I thought I was the only thing when it comes to pageants, but it's wrong. That's just a tiny, tiny bit part of it. And even that part, I think, is more empowering than people give it credit to because it forces you overall to really th truly care about your health, how you look, being strong. It's not about being skinny. It's about being fit and showing that you have discipline and persistence to actually take care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, and professionally. So it's, it's an overall self-development, getting outside of your comfort zone, growth type of experience. And 
most people, I would say 90% of people, don't see it that way. They're mm -hmm. like, beauty pageants, a lot of crowns and bling bling and nice gowns and... Sashes. Yeah, and empty brains. But that's not the case. Okay, is it quite a bitchy environment? Not the ones I've been part of, thankfully. But I'm sure there are certain pageants where it's very catty. However, I find that through pageantry, I discovered the true meaning of sisterhood and women empowerment. And that was my first experience coming face to face with this whole girl power, having you know, a bunch of women stick together even though they're competing against each other. And I never really knew that in school. I was kind of the outsider, especially after moving from Morocco into a new environment, a new culture, um, a new high school kind of Okay. Yeah. So, so, just so everyone knows, so Iman grew up, she's Moroccan by the sense, she grew up in Morocco and at the age of 15 you moved across? I did, yes. Okay, so at the age of 15 she moved across to the United States, moved to Denver and Colorado and then from Denver, from Denver she then moved then at later stage to New York. You started doing these beauty pageants, you got involved in them, you saw some real positives that you took from it where you never imagined that you would. Once you took those positives from it, how did that then put you on the journey that you went into, going into a business like you did? I mean, did, did you just say, I'm going to set up a media agency, or did something happen in the meantime? No, I didn't know I was going to end up with the media brand until last year when it happened. Because along the way, I, had, I saw the opportunity. But to answer the question, when I won Miss New York in 2015, uh, I saw that I had a platform. Now that I have some kind of a voice, I'm not a celebrity, but I still have somewhat of a community now that looks up to me as a role model, a change agent in the community, and I had to pick what the platform stands for. Of course, I've, I've started being a bit more interested in entrepreneurship. Um, I feel like that's been, that's triggered my curiosity when I moved to New York, because it's where everything happens and where all dreams come true, or die. Uh, but. I wanted to promote that for women. So I saw that women now have this opportunity to become change makers, innovators, disruptors, and we need more women to step up to the forefront of cultural and political uh, movements and changes. So I started a podcast um, called Entrepreneurs in Vogue. And in a way, I also started it for selfish reasons because when I first moved to New York, I clearly didn't have any friends just yet. I didn't know a lot of people. And my thought was, how can I network without being the annoying networker, which we talked about earlier. <laughs> like, hey, here's my business card. Let me go to all these events in New York and just pass out my business cards with absolutely no goal. So I'm like, I'm going to start a podcast and just invite the women I want to meet in uh -huh. person to my podcast. And instead of asking for something or giving out my business card, I'm also giving them a platform to share their stories and voices and in turn inspire other women at scale. And so the podcast did really well, ended up on number two on iTunes right after launching, which was exciting. Wow, congratulations. Um, That's awesome, you. isn't it? Yeah, it was, I, I was in Miami and I just landed and I opened the podcast page and I see my podcast right there on number two. I'm like, but give me, Okay, so give me an idea of numbers because that, 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 that could mean different things to different people. What, what kind of numbers are involved in getting a podcast to number two in the charts? So I think you have to make sure that within the first couple of weeks of launching that you, you surpass at least, um, was it, I think 10,000 downloads for okay. the episodes. So it's probably within two episodes because um, mm -hmm. I do it weekly. So 
so yeah, I think that's it. Well, I don't know if they, the, the bad thing about iTunes, they don't give you numbers. So they don't tell you how many subscribers you actually have. Oh. They tell you just downloads and that's about it, okay. which I don't think is enough data for us to really work with. But you kind of imagine numbers in your head and see also how much, how many people you bring to the website for the podcast and et cetera. Um, and then the newsletter subscriptions as well. So, so, so hold on, before we go any further on that one, you invited people that you wanted to invite on the podcast. Before that, you hadn't done a podcast, but you got someone to teach you how to do it, yeah? For a month. Okay. I had to learn in a month. So you learned in a month. Someone taught you how to do it. Because there'll be people out here that'll be mm -hmm. thinking, I want to do a podcast. So. And you should. Okay. Well, people, people then have that fear. Yeah. How do I get people onto my podcast that are going to be interesting? How, you know, if I invite people, how, how would they come? So when you did your first one or two or three podcasts, how did you present it to people to say, you know, come on my podcast. I'm brand new. It's here. I've never done it before, and I'd like to interview you. Yeah, I, I had that same fear because I said, okay, why would people even take time of the day to, yeah. to come to my podcast and no one even knows about it? You'd be surprised that that's not how people think. Because here's the thing, and this is what my coach also told me. Everyone loves to talk about themselves. So if you say, hey, I want you to come on this show, even though you don't know about it, but I just launched it for XYZ reasons, and the goal for it is to bring people like you to inspire this kind of generation of women, and I admire your story. You know, you, you lift them up. You obviously give them importance. And I want you to come in for 30 minutes. You know, I always also make sure to say that this is not going to take a lot of your time. I'll work around your schedule, yeah. and I did. And the point is for us to have a conversation like we're doing right now. And it's nothing too formal. It's just a great way for you to even further your mission and inspire other women. I would say even starting off, 90% of the people I reached out to said yes. And of the people that you reached out, how did you compile that list? What did you, what did you aim for? I aimed for women I would read about on Inc., Forbes, you know, women that weren't famous because of acting or what, but women that truly took risks and overcame certain challenges and built businesses that had bigger impacts on communities. So it was a different type of conversation, and that was the point of the podcast then, it's still the point of the podcast now, and it's the point of Sway now. It's to bring the voices of women that show our competency in spearheading innovation and doing incredible things that we didn't think women were capable of years ago. Okay. Did you reach out by email or did you pick the phone up? Email. Because here's the thing, I had a full-time job at the time too, so we have to keep in mind that I would sneak in some like email, personal emails during work time or after work or during lunchtime or the weekend. So I basically did the, the podcast for a whole year on my weekends and at night. And can you remember doing your first podcast? Yes. How bad was it? Or how good was it? You know, it was, I'm sure it was bad. I haven't even listened to it since. But it's interesting because the first podcast I've done, I so prepared everything. I prepared the intro. I wrote down all the questions. I did so much research on, on the woman I was interviewing. And it's interesting because I just reconnected with her recently. And I was like, okay, I'm ready to go. I did it out of Marco's room. And I'm like, the cards were ever honking. You can hear that. And I had to edit everything myself. It was just a mess. It was a Saturday night. And after that, I had to go out. I'm like, okay, I'm stressed out already. <laughs> um, but I will never forget that because I'm like this, after I was done with it, I knew I was onto something. It might not have been the best interview I've done, 
But I was like, this is, I love this. I think I'm in my element. Of course, now I don't even prepare. I walk in and I'm like, let's just have a conversation. Tell me about yourself. And it's like more natural, like you, <laughs> <laughs> and random. And, but before, I was like trying to be so formal because that's what I thought it was all about. Like, you have to be very professional and like you can't mess up. You can't be yourself, mm. you know, but it's not. It's not so how, how many interviews, podcasts were you in before you knew you were doing them well? Was it your third, your fourth, your fifth? When did you, when did you watch or I remember doing a podcast and you went, I've got this, I've definitely got this? I think it was when I actually finally got my own studio to record out of. And I felt like, because at the time, when I first started, I had to do everything. So I think I was stressed out too about the editing process while I was doing the interview and a lot of it. So, and I was stressed out about like the content, everything, because I had to to do everything and publish it from like interviewing to editing to publishing, etc. Now I just show up, do the interview and leave and everything else is taken care of. I think last year is when I started officially recording in my studio and that's when I was like, all right, I'm clearly now cool and official since I have to walk in, I have a producer, an editor, you know, no big deal. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> uh, but I'm like, yeah, so I, I guess it must be going really well since I've gotten to this level. And of course, um, it was a much more natural. I wasn't nervous anymore going into it. And I actually had more fun and I wanted to keep doing the interview for more than an hour. Even my producer was like, no, you have to cut it at 30 minutes. But that's when you're like, okay, clearly I don't want it to be over. So I love it. I'm loving it. So how many podcasts have you done now? Over 100, so I think 110. Okay, so two years worth, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did take a break um, for a bit because I had gotten a new job uh -huh. and I had to train for it and all, so I had to take a break for, I think, three or four months. Okay. Um, who, who do you remember as being the best person you interviewed? Everyone asks me that. I think I, I can't choose. It's like saying to a mother, who's your favorite child? Okay. I think everyone brings a different story to the content and... For me to say I prefer this person the best, it just I don't think it's fair because I loved everyone's story when they were here. And, and most of the time, most of the time, people bring a lot of energy. And so it's like, I, I fuel off of that. Yeah, it, I, 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 well, I find exactly that, you know, exactly that. The guest, nine times oh out of 10, God. is the star. Mm -hmm. So you know, as much as we might like to think that it's our show, the reality is the guest is the star. In this example, you are, uh, as we're sitting here right now, and, and it's, it's what I get from you that makes the, it fun, exciting, interesting, and then enables me to ask the kind of questions yeah. that, that maybe people out there, guys like you, want to know about him on. And sometimes I feel like I should have gotten on calls but with some guests before I had them on the show. Because sometimes you're like, I really expected so much out of you. And then you show up with like, are you, is this an off day for you? Or are you just like this all the time? Or are you just not feeling me? You know, you start questioning that and you just try to make the best out of it. But I think it's, if you have the opportunity to test them out before you have them on the show, that would be better. I just don't have time to do that. But it's these people that ask lots of questions or send questionnaires over, to me, I don't think that's right. Yeah, have a catch-up, maybe a catch-up on the phone or a quick coffee mm -hmm. together just so you can learn about mm -hmm. that person a bit more. But I think this whole prepare a list of questions sometimes is just a little bit too cardboard and stiff. Do you yeah. agree? Yes, yes. Uh, I have guests sometimes asking me questions ahead of time, like, can you send me the list of the questions that we're going to be addressing? I'm like, no, I don't even have them. I will figure them out once I say hi to you and then we start the conversation. Then the questions will come to me because it'll be tailored to you and what you bring up, how you tell your story and what comes to my mind right there and then because I truly want it to be a conversation. It's almost like I want the listeners to feel like they're eavesdropping on 
a, a co like a coffee conversation with my girlfriend, and that's how I wanted it. Okay, just a question for you, going back to your your history. How does somebody like you, who studies medicine, wants to go down that route? How does somebody like you, with such you know, you don't, nobody goes to study medicine and be involved in medicine without without kind of like having a real calling and a real purpose for that? Mm -hmm. How does someone then say, no, I'm not going to do this anymore? This is not for me. I think I did not say I'm not doing this anymore at all. I think it's like I'm taking a break from it and I, I will be back to it and I will be back to it in a much more authentic way. And what I mean by that is I don't want to do it as a career. I don't want to make money off of it. I want to make money by making it big and doing my own thing, which is entrepreneurship because honestly, I'm unemployable. I, I, I'm just miserable working for people. Whether or not it's a great job, I just it's not for me. But my end goal is when I have my money and all that is to invest in a lot of nonprofit work in the medical industry. Um, I have big plans for that. So I will be back to it. Yeah. It's not over completely. And I still am involved with some nonprofits in the industry um, at a small scale right now because obviously I'm building a business and that takes a lot of time. But eventually I'm going back to it. Okay. Let's now talk about what happened after the podcast. So what happened as the podcast started to develop and grow? This organization, Sway Media, was launched by you. When was it launched? What was the reason that you launched it? How much fun has it been so far? And what are the objectives? <laughs> I launched it in November 2016, so almost a year ago. But we launched it kind of beta testing, so we didn't really make a lot of noise about it. So it was on the DL for about, I don't know, five months, at least until March of this year. And that's when we officially launched Sway.com. So at first it was SwayMedia.com to just test out content, get feedback from some of our readers organically, test out some of the functionalities of the site, the design, which if you've seen the site, it's very design heavy because that's how I am a very aesthetic person. And I pay a lot of attention to that. So officially relaunched in April, Sway.com with two A's. And so that's been, what, six months now? It's a Forbes meets Vogue type of media platform. So it's very editorial, aesthetically appealing media platform, but with content that you would see on Inc, Forbes, on business publishers. So I essentially wanted to fill the gap between lifestyle publishers and business publishers because I felt like each one of them are doing great jobs in what their own universe, but there wasn't a media brand, especially a female forward media brand that brought the two worlds together. And I think for as long as we remember, women have always been targeted with content that's been so fluffy, shallow, it's all about sex tips and weight loss tips. It's basically all about your physical appearance and how to look like a certain celebrity and whatnot. I was sick and tired of that because I, I don't want to look like anyone. I don't want to live my life with whatever Cosmo tells me I should do in the bedroom or outside of it or whatnot. I was just really craving content that was actually inspiring me to, to get through the challenges of my career, figuring out what I wanted to do, how to navigate going from corporate and med medical field to a new business that I launched. I launched a skincare back in graduate school, skincare business that failed horribly because I clearly didn't know what I was doing. And that's when I realized there is not enough content out there that is targeting women to really kind of navigate, uh, help us navigate the, the world of 
careers and business, um, especially for the women that are very ambitious. So that's what media or Sway Media really stands for, is content that is going to make you want to get up every day and kick ass and take over the world. Okay, focused on females. Yeah. Okay. Women specifically. But it's also content that men can relate to and read. It's yeah. not. But really we wanted to do this because women lack that kind of content. And that's why the design part of it is essential because we like pretty visuals. Um, that's why we do, well, I mean, we pick up magazines all the time. I like to look at pretty awesome, inspiring photos. But if you look at Forbes and Inc., it's still modeled and designed for the white male executive. And it doesn't do a good job really appealing to the 18-year-old young woman or the 21-year-old that just graduated and really wants to now do something great with her life. Why, why do you think there's this kind of female movement now where, you know, if you go back in, in, in history over the last 20 or 30 years, there's always been successful women in power, you know, whether you go back to Margaret Thatcher or whether you go back just recently to Hillary Clinton and she, she was in her position. There, there are women that are successful in business, you know, Sheryl Sandberg, it goes on, there's yeah. many you could mention. Why is it kind of trendy and hip nowadays to be part of this kind of movement? You know, my, I come from a single parent family, my parents got divorced when I was a kid, and my mum was a really strong woman, so mm -hmm. I, I never kind of saw it any differently to any other time in history. Yeah, well I think now there's certainly more women um, jumping on this movement, and I think that's not, it's amplified. Is it trendy though? It's trendy. Also I think post-2016 election that's even trendier, because I think the current political climate and just cultural and political movement, it calls for this kind of movement. I think we've, we've, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go as far as saying silence, but we haven't been paid attention enough to in the media because the media for as long as we can all remember, it's always been male dominated. I think it still is male dominated. And so obviously more men support more men and that's how kind of things go. But now we have more women stepping into the forefront of different industries and really showing other women that it can be done and it's possible yes there are hurdles probably a lot more than men would encounter um, unfortunately but it is possible and we're we're now kind of rising together to make it happen for all of us and that's why media is so important now because it is the only and most important platform to really keep fuel in this kind of movement um, so I think yes there have been strong women throughout history but not as much as today. Now we are the fastest growing population in entrepreneurship. Women start more businesses now, more, more than ever and more than men, um, especially also minority women. So we're out there just kicking ass if we want to be heard and following how you know, Hillary Clinton, you know, obviously really kind of opened more doors for women in politics as well. And so now more women have seen her step up and do what she did and now more women are running for office we had 21 senators that were female this year, and that never really happened before. So I think it's just amplified. We have Angela Merkel, who's in charge of Germany. We've got British Prime Minister Theresa May, who's mm -hmm. a female as well. And then you've got Hillary Clinton, who fought against Mr. Donald Trump. I find that, that women have done, done pretty good in senior positions along the way, but it's interesting your perspective, so thank you for that. Yeah, and we're seeing more of it. That's why it keeps happening more and more, because pe before that, even though they were around throughout history, we didn't hear about them. I mean, even when women were back in 
I don't know, the 50s or 20s or whatever, they were publishing books and everything that was labeled anonymous was because it was a woman. So women's voices weren't as heard as today. Now, because of the digital age and blogs and podcasts, we don't, we're not waiting for mainstream media to give us that voice. We're out there creating it. And that's why you're hearing more of it and you're thinking, oh, why now more than ever? Because of the development of technology and digital. There was a comment recently, whether it was in the last six or 12 months, that was made about you, about women in business. What was it? I was told I was too pretty to be a CEO. Too pretty to be yeah. a CEO. Um, that must have really got your back up um, from the response <laughs> that you had and really offended you. Um, and rightfully so. It, did that come from a male chauvinist pig or did that come from someone that was a little bit naive? I th yeah, I, I don't know what that person was really thinking. I honestly don't think, and I don't want to make excuses or whatnot, I don't think it, it came from a bad place. But that's just really, unfortunately, the stereotype that is put out there by society. You know, it's, women have always been put in a, in a, in a box or a bucket. So if you are the pretty girl, you shouldn't be doing smart things. Or if you're the smart one, you're a bit square and boring and you don't know how to dress and you don't know what makeup is. So it's always been like an either or and mutually exclusive type of world that women live in. And now if you're dressed up and looking nice and you also have a history of beauty pageants and you like to take care of yourself and you embrace your style and femininity, the first impression you make when you walk into a room full of men is, oh, here comes the pretty girl with, uh, or the beauty queen with a PowerPoint and a dream. Like, clearly this girl's going nowhere because look at her. That, she doesn't scream smart. She doesn't have her glasses on and like turtleneck and all, you know? <laughs> it's so unfortunate because I used to think it was just, I'm in my own head. Or like a lot of people that said that, I'm like, that's not true. But the more I, I got into this, world of business and pitching male investors and whatnot, the more I saw it for myself. And I'm like, all right, let me try the, the fake ring type of thing. Maybe they won't even go there. They don't care. Most, most people that, most of these men are even already married, have kids. Like, it's just how it goes. And it's, it's time to kind of put an end to that. And mm -hmm. it took me a while to actually agree to write the piece because I didn't want to also come across as Oh, boo-hoo, you know, you're too pretty, you're like, you know. That's not the point, though, of the article. For most people that read it, it was about just the, the general stereotypes. And maybe it's not, you're too pretty. Maybe it's just before that, people were said, oh, you're too curvy to, to be a model, or you're too this, or you're too glamorous for this job. What does that even mean? Um, so there's always that, oh, this person is this, she might not be this. So, did, that, did that comment, though, motivate you? When you heard it, did yeah. it, did it, I'll show you. It makes me want to prove yeah. that it's wrong. Also, even just me back in graduate school right now, I would be so discouraged by that. I would probably give up. And I'm sure most women go through that and they end up giving up on their dreams because they're not being taken seriously for the, what they're trying to achieve. They're being told that they're too X to be Y, you know? And I think that's just unfair. Maybe, maybe you're thinking it, that's fine, but that's not your place to say that to women that are trying to achieve big things because of the way they look or the way they speak or whatnot. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Tell me about that business that you said you set up and failed with. I wouldn't say, I mean, it failed in the sense that I just kind of gave up on it because I had, twice, I had the wrong business partner. I felt like I was also being taken advantage of because I didn't know um, when I was young. 
I just I had a great product in mind, and I think we've spoke about we've spoken about this when I, we first met. I didn't also know the many ways of going out there and marketing the product, selling it. So I had this great, amazing line, but now what? You know, yeah. I've never done this before, and I didn't also have a, a mentor or guidance, and I didn't know where to look for that. How long did how long before starting it and failing was that period of time? Um, I would say a year. Okay, and in but that I wouldn't even say I failed because I ended up getting meetings and deals with Macy's, QVC it was great. I didn't get the support from the business partner that I had. It oh. was very f shady, and it was he was flaking. It people that I didn't know were getting involved, and I just I I want to have control of my my brand, especially that I'm the face of it. So I think if I was the only one behind it, I would have totally killed it. I mean, I would have at least figured it out. It might have not have been easy. But he had the production, manufacturing experience, which I definitely don't have. So I felt like we were complimentary, and it, it felt good at first. But I was doing my part, even though I didn't know, but I tried to figure it out, and he wasn't so much, and I just felt like I didn't get that support, and I was being taken adva advantage of, so I just had to be like, you know, this isn't for me. So. Have you got any other experiences in your life that it took you to a dark place? because you didn't get where you wanted to get to, or you failed at something, or you experienced some pain because you tried hard to, to achieve something in some way, but it didn't work out for you? Or have you always been one of these people that has never had that much rejection and negativity to deal with? No, I've had my own share of rejection. Um, and I think also following my pageant experience, it helped me a lot to deal with it because in pageantry, you're getting rejected and also you're getting judged and on everything. Mm -hmm. um, so now when I when I get rejected, I just kind of laugh it off and move on. I'm like, oh, you, you'll know one day. You'll see me in, you know, out there and you'll regret why. But no, not really. Um, but you know, I just, it's not, not everyone will support you. So I, I, I'm okay with that now and mm -hmm. I don't take it as personally as I used to before. But in terms of experiences and being in a dark place, I, I would say, I mean, this has nothing to do with business, but when I moved, when my parents moved us from Morocco, and the first year being in the U.S., I was in a dark place, but not as dark as probably what you would think. I, just, I dealt with a mild depression. Um, I obviously didn't fit in the first year in, in high school, and that had nothing to do with being bullied or anything at all. Thank God I didn't really have to go through that. I just didn't know why I was there. I'm like, why? We had a great life in Morocco. Most people that move away is because they're looking for a better life. We had a wonderful life. My parents had great careers. We, we were very comfortable, and, but why, why did we move here? And now I have to start over. I left my family there, and that really affected me because you're 15. You're a teenager. You're going through a lot already, <laughs> hormonals. Um, so I dealt with it by writing. And I think that's when I first discovered the power of storytelling on paper because okay. I wrote because I didn't have people to talk to. And my parents clearly don't want to hear it. They're like, you're just complaining. <laughs> like, just shut up, you know, go to school. We did this for a reason. You'll find out one day. And now I do, thank God. Now I understand. Thanks, Mom <laughs> and Dad. Um, but at the time, I was so mad at them. I was so mad at the world. I was just not angry. me. Yeah, I was Teenager angry. As well, yeah. And I wrote, like... Poetry and lyrics. It's so funny because my brother makes fun of me now when, when he like 
remembers those days because we turned some of them into songs and he would play the guitar. <laughs> but yeah, it helped me a lot in terms of expressing myself because I didn't have someone to talk to. Okay, back to Sway. What is the plan for this business? Where do you plan to take it? What are your hopes for this organization? I hope to turn it into the next big leading media brand that really truly puts women's interests and women's needs at the core of its content direction. Because I think that's something that's definitely missing from the current industry. Everything is advertising driven, which obviously makes sense because that's the main revenue channels for a lot of media brands. But I feel like with, with the growth of the industry, the, the readership and audience interest and needs has been lost in translation. And we're seeing a media landscape full of clickbait and trashy gossip that really doesn't do justice for what women are capable of. And if we're going to talk about women empowerment, if we're going to talk about wanting more women to step up and do great things, we need to give them the right content that makes them feel capable of doing so. Yeah. And if you're going to always put out content that makes them more insecure, because they don't look like a certain celebrity because they define success differently. Mm -hmm. I've never wanted to be a model. I could care less about how to look like a certain model. You know, Why do I need to read that kind of content all the time? So yeah, my point is for Sway to, to basically cover that need is I want every woman out there that is so ambitious and really wants to change the world to see Sway as the go-to platform for her daily inspiration. And hey girl, you can do it. You know, Because I don't think we get enough of that. Okay, give me some numbers so we can share with the audience. How many people are going to visit the site on a regular basis? So we have now about 300,000 uniques um, monthly, uh, which we're excited about, and we're yeah. on our way to hit half a million by the end of the year, fingers crossed. So thank you so much for all your support and everyone that reads it. I, I love the messages I get because everyone that really takes a look at the brand, takes a look at the content, sees what I'm saying. You know, It's hard to explain it to someone that hasn't read the content. Mm -hmm. So. I'm grateful for the positive feedback that every woman out there, and, and I think we were really excited to see that there was a formation of an organic community around it. So it's like kick-ass women that truly breeds and live with the brand. Um, so that's, 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 that's numbers. You're kind of, you're very kind I'm of very calm. I go with the flow, and yeah. I'm enjoying the ride. I think most people that start a business sometimes forget it, and sometimes people look at me and say, you work so much, like, why don't you just go out there, have fun? I'm like, but I am having fun. Doing so, what you do. Yeah, everyone has a different idea of fun. I wouldn't have it any other way, because I have so much fun seeing, one, the fruits of my hard work, and two, just, the amazing people I meet every day through this, I don't think I could have picked a better industry for myself because I love talking and I love meeting people. <laughs> <laughs> so this is perfect for me. Okay, lastly, I'm gonna ask you to give three tips to our audience. If they wanted to start up in business, in, in, in let's talk about podcasting. Yeah. Okay, what are the, the, the top three pieces of, pieces of advice you could give a budding entrepreneur that wants to get into the podcasting or vlogging industry? What kind of advice could you give them? Three tips. Well, one that applies to everything, whether it's business, podcast, or life, is uh, self-awareness. Uh, it's, it's so baffling for me to meet some people where they have absolutely no self-awareness. And it's almost sad because I feel like if you're going to achieve anything in life or just be happy in life, you need to know yourself before anything. And you need to know yourself and you need to know your purpose, um, whether it's 
in progress or working. I think you just need to know what it is that you, that is driving you. What is the fire inside of you? Uh, so spending time with yourself is important. Writing it down. That what, this is how I feel about certain situations. Why does that make me feel that way? Which one, what am I doing that really makes me in my element? And that's how you start getting, it's almost like interviewing with yourself, which I had to do a lot while I was training for pageants. Number two is don't start a business because you need to start a business or because you think it's cool and everybody else is doing it. Because I think that's why the skincare business failed is because in graduate school, I'm like, oh my God, this entrepreneurship, every, everybody's doing that. I gotta do something. Of course, the first thing that comes to my mind, Moroccan skincare line, because I'm Moroccan and I love skincare and all. So I didn't, I loved it, but I didn't have the passion for it. So if I really did, I think I would have still fought for it, but I clearly didn't. So it's good that I realized that and I just went back to my career and figured it out and now I'm in a place where I started a business because I feel like I have a story behind it. And always having a narrative behind why starting a business is a huge part of its own success. So you can always back it up by the narrative. And when all fails and when you have hard days and people are rejecting you left and right, if you have the passion for it and if it's worth it, you will just overcome with that. That won't even matter. You will, at the end of the day, you'll say, it's all worth it. I'll keep going because it's all worth it. Third advice, you have to have fun with it. If you're not having fun, you need to get out because it's only going to get worse at the end of the day. It's only going to get worse five years from now, five months from now. Things get harder. If you're not having fun and you're enjoying everything that you're doing and truly care about the process, it's going to be... 10 times harder for you to even make it successful and continue the business so those are so i think steve jobs said it well when he said uh, you've got to really love what you do mm -hmm. because if you don't love what you do considering the amount of hours you've got to put into it it's going to border on insanity just to keep going through something you despise that much yeah. you just won't keep going yeah. so you've got to really love what you do but i mean yes you have to love what you do but i love doing cancer research and i love doing lab research and science i didn't have fun doing it so I think it's a different thing. You, you love doing a lot of things, but will you love doing that for 10 years? Will you have fun for 10 years doing that? That's the bigger question. Because yeah. I certainly wasn't having fun in the lab in a white coat and like glasses. Imran, thank you so, so much for sharing your insights and your story with us. It's been fantastic. How do people get a hold of you? How do people get in touch? It's SWAAY.com for Sway. Yes, yeah, so if you want to read all our content, and see what we're up to, sway.com, S-W-A-A-Y.com. We are on social media at Sway Media on all channels. And in my personal ones are at Iman Ubu and Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Okay, it's I-M-A-N-O-U-B-O-U, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Cool. Just like what I expected and more. <laughs> So there you have it, my interview with Iman Abu. I hope you really enjoyed it and it was worth the time. You learned a lot more about Iman and uh, her company Sway and her industry that she's in. And it made you feel more knowledgeable about female empowerment and female entrepreneurs, but also the fact that I suppose you could learn to be one thing like she did to be a doctor and then change careers completely to go into something you know, totally different from what she trained to be when she was younger. And you know, I remember during the interview thinking, how much more there was to her story uh, and how much it revealed about her life uh, and also her industry and how kind and welcoming she was. You know, she was so open with me and so happy to answer any question. And sometimes guests just uh, have some 
some yays and nays really about what they're prepared to talk about and whatnot. But she said, look, anything you want to know, just ask me and I'll share that. And also the energy, you know, she's such a positive person. It felt, you know, I remember uh, when we were actually filming this as well, Amma, my uh, camera guy, he was uh, really impressed with her energy and her drive as well. So it was nice to be able to have that in the room. Now, I've seen Imam once or twice since then, but I, uh, I speak to her on the telephone probably once a month to get an update of what she's doing. Um, and recently she was uh, a judge in the Miss Universe competition, so I caught up with her after that. And obviously she was very proud to be uh, on the panel of the uh, of female judge, only female judges in the Miss Universe competition, which was the first time that had ever happened. So the key takeaways from me, you know, first of all, how you can change from one career to another when you're young. and It doesn't have to be defining to go into one career and get stuck with it. Another thing that if you really, really want to be your own boss and you're driven to achieve and you need to go and raise investment and you need to build a business and a brand and it's something you're really passionate about that you can achieve anything you want to. And she's a great example of that. But also the other thing the takeaway was learning for me about that pageant industry and the beauty queen industry, as we call it, and my misconceptions around that and how she put me straight and taught me a lot more about how great it was as, a, as, a, as an organization and something to follow and be involved with for her. Overall, a young, late 20s, entrepreneur, super successful, driven, all coming from a, a massive amount of change when she moved from Morocco at the age of 15 to the States with parents and, you know, and not even, she didn't hardly speak English as well. So for her to go and then learn English and speak as fluently as she does, I think it's really interesting to see. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you've got any feedback, you know, please drop me a note via social media, you know, all my handles. Or you can go and obviously find me on LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and all the usual places. I'd love to hear anything you have to say uh, or you may have learned or started applying from this information and, or any of the shows, actually. And if you're feeling extra generous and and you've got a spare couple of minutes giving me a five-star review on iTunes or a comment on SoundCloud or anywhere you see this podcast would really help grow the podcast and get it out to more listeners. So there's my ask of you if you would be so kind. Coming up in the next podcast is somebody I can quite simply describe as probably the smartest person I've ever, ever met. Heather Wilde is a hugely successful CTO for many companies, a coach. Um, she has done so much in the world of tech that it would just be a long list I'd have to reel out, which I will do for you fairly soon. But in summary, trained at NASA to be an astronaut, um, took a company called Evernote, who you may have heard of, that went from 5,000 users when she joined it to over 100 million users. So that's the kind of caliber we're looking at here. Um, I look forward to sharing that with you on the next episode. But until then, thank you so much for listening. And I'd like to talk to you again on the next episode of the Spencer Lodge podcast. Take care.